0: This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to Marvinaia Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service from beautiful downtown Tyler, Texas. My name is Doug Baker, and I'm the lead pastor of the church. Thank you so much for participating today in our worship services. I'm glad that you've joined us. Let's join in as the message is underway. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one after another, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, But woe to the one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have always loved communion. I grew up going to church at First United Methodist Church in Mauriceville, a little town in southeast Texas between Beaumont and Louisiana. And even as a little kid in church, I remember being so excited for each month's Communion Sunday because probably it meant that I got to have a little snack and some juice in the middle of the service. I didn't understand the significance of it at all, but I loved it. And as I've grown older and learned more about communion... I grew to love it even more. And to this day, I still don't fully grasp the intricacies of communion. I don't fully understand the way that God works within a piece of bread and some squished grapes. And I don't fully comprehend all the work that God is doing within me as he invites me to partake in the Holy Sacrament. You'd think I would, though, after growing up in the church, learning about communion as a kid, and then as a teenager, and even into adulthood... And on top of that, I went all the way out to Kentucky to study all that I could at Asbury Theological Seminary to study about God, His Word, His people, what people throughout history had to say about their understanding of God. And I even got to study communion itself. All of this education over the years and still falling short of a complete and fully comprehensive understanding Is part of the holy mystery that communion is. And I'm so thankful that God continues to reveal more to me, to help me to learn more about him day in and day out as I grow deeper in relationship with him. On this month's Communion Sunday, I want us to take a look into Jesus' life, specifically at his last supper with his disciples. We see in the Gospels that the disciples went and prepared a room for the Passover meal so that they could all eat together that evening with Jesus. This was a special holiday celebration, which included a great deal of rejoicing. Passover is a Jewish holiday commemorating the Hebrews' liberation from slavery in Egypt. And it was the Israelites were set free when God told Moses and Aaron to get the whole community of Israel to sacrifice a lamb for each of their households and to mark their doors at the top and the sides with the blood of that lamb so that any destruction would pass over their houses and they would be saved. Jesus and his disciples were joined together for this holiday, having a great time with good food and drink, probably talking about their day, definitely telling some stories and maybe even cracking a few jokes here and there. Overall, they were just having a really joyful time in celebration when scripture tells us that while they were eating, Jesus kind of drops a bomb on them and he says to them, you, one of you will betray me. Could you imagine the change of mood that caused for everyone there? They were having a delightful time eating and laughing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says that someone here with them is going to betray him, to betray their teacher, to betray their Lord. The passage tells us that the disciples became distressed, like this really heavy grief and sorrow came over them. And they each begin to question if they are the one that is going to betray him. Surely not me, Lord. They would say to him, then Jesus says to them at one of the 12, says to them that one of the 12, that is one of the disciples who had lived so closely and walked alongside Jesus, learning from him for years, was dipping their bread into the same bowl as him and was still going to betray him. I'm sure the atmosphere was a lot different after Jesus said this compared to when the meal began. Possibly a lot quieter, no more laughter and smiles, Just the sound of cups and plates shifting on the table as they continued to eat, as they wondered, who was it that was going to betray their Lord? Then Jesus took some bread, and he blessed it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup and he blessed it, and said to the disciples, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Jesus knew the sins that each of the disciples struggled with. He knew that Peter was going to go on to deny that he had even known Jesus, not just once, but three times in a row. And Jesus knew exactly who it was that was going to betray him. But even still, Jesus offers the bread and the cup to each and every one of them. I know that if I was Jesus in that moment, I would have passed all the good pieces of bread out to everyone except Judas. I would have left him for last and gave him some burnt toast or some crust of it. But... Thankfully, I'm not Jesus and not in his shoes in this moment, because Jesus looks instead at each and every one of them with love, despite what they have done or will do, and still extends this means of grace to them. When receiving the bread and cup, could you imagine the emotions Judas was feeling? He's probably shocked, frustrated, maybe even offended, because this is not how forgiveness is supposed to work. He was probably wondering, why would Jesus offer me forgiveness knowing the horrible thing that I'm about to go and do? This is so counter to what the world has to say of forgiveness. The world tells us that we have to do something first in order to make things right, and then we can receive forgiveness from others. For instance, during my final year of seminary, I took a class on C.S. Lewis, and it just so happened that my roommate had a box set collection of his works, and I only needed three books out of this seven book collection, but he said that I could borrow the whole thing. And as a seminary student that was strapped for cash, I really appreciated that. And it was this beautiful set of books, and they all had this color scheme pattern going with them, and then the, the box that they came in even matched that. And I wanted to keep this collection in the best shape that I could. So what I did was I'd leave the box set on my shelf in my room where I knew it was safe, and I would only take one book out at a time. And unfortunately, I was in a rush one day, and that one book that I had out, I threw it into my backpack and took off. And later that day, I took the book out to continue reading, and as I did, that's when my heart sank right down into my gut. In my careless rush to class or lunch, wherever I was going, When I threw that book into my backpack, the whole front cover of it was bent in half. Panic set in. And all of these thoughts rushed into my mind on how I had to make this right. It wasn't a simple fix to just buy another book and, you know, just one copy, give it to them. Because this was a box set collection that all matched. So I would have to buy the entire thing just to make right for that one book that that I messed up. And all I could picture in the coming conversation of my confession to him was me talking to him and him saying, I forgive you, but, I mean, you got to buy me a new one. (laughs) And thankfully, how it played out in my head was not at all how our conversation went. But we see that situation that played out in my head all the time regarding forgiveness in the world. The way our world works conditions us to believe that forgiveness always comes with a price that we have to pay. We always hear things like, I forgive you, but you're going to have to make this right. Or, I forgive you, but you have to do better. Here in Scripture, we see something completely different happening, though. Jesus does not say that they need to first go and do something for him before they receive the bread and the cup. Jesus isn't telling them to first make things right, get their life all in order, and then he would give them the bread and the cup. Instead, Jesus is freely offering forgiveness to the disciples, and he is saying that he will make it right with his sign of his broken body and his spilled blood in regard to the bread and cup that he is offering to each and every one of them there. Jesus essentially says, I forgive you, but I will be the one to take on all the responsibility and make this right. While preparing the sermon, I was reminded of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which says, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I'd always looked at this verse in the sense that before I was a Christian, Christ had died for me. And this is very true, and this portion of the book of Romans speaks to that. But reading that verse in light of the Last Supper, I'm reminded that Christ's death still holds importance to me even after I have become a Christian and dedicated my life to him. Looking at the Last Supper, we see that the disciples, the ones who are living with Jesus and learning from him, the perfect one to learn from, they're still struggling with sin of some type. Peter will go on to deny that he knows Jesus, and Judas is about to sell Jesus off to be killed. So while these Christians, these followers of Christ who devoted their whole life to him, were still sinners, Jesus offered them the bread and the cup in the New Covenant. And he still went and died for them. Romans indicates here that God wants to take full ownership of making things right in our lives, and it is his intention and his desire, and he set it into motion before we could even ask for it. There's this book that was assigned for a different class that I took that made all of this make a lot more sense for me, because it talked about the covenant that God made with Abram in Genesis This book is called The Epic of Eden, and we're actually going to have a Sunday night weekly study on it coming up September 18th. And even though I really want you to sign up for this weekly study, I'm going to include a little spoiler. And if it makes you feel better, we can call it a little teaser trailer, because it'll make me feel better if I call it that instead of just spoiling the book for you. But it's only one little part, and it talks about the covenant between God and Abram found in Genesis 15. God told Abram back in Genesis 12 that he would be made a great nation and given the promised land. But Abram replies in verse 8 of chapter 15, saying, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And this is when God answers in a way that Abram would understand and give him full confidence in what God is saying to him. He commands Abram to fetch some animals so that a covenant can be made right there on the spot. And this covenant, this covenant required animals to be sacrificed. And without going into too much detail, essentially the, the animals were split in two and made into this type of pathway that the vassal, which is the lesser of the two parties, or which is also known as the subordinate, participating in the covenantal agreement, they would walk through the middle of those sacrifices to seal the deal and kind of make a vocal and physical statement that what has happened to these animals on either side of me Let that happen to me if I fail to uphold my oath. And so God told Abram to prepare everything for the covenant. And once it was all set up, Abram knew that he was supposed to walk through the middle. But instead, what we see is God moves through the middle alone. This shows that God and God alone would take on ownership of Abram's faithfulness and hold himself accountable for Abram's side of the deal to fulfill that covenant. How do you think that made Abram feel? To see that God was taking full ownership, full responsibility for the covenant and any consequences that would follow. He was probably thinking, God, this isn't right. If anyone's going to mess up, you know it's going to be me. God, I don't deserve this. And I'm sure after the initial shock and questioning of what he was seeing, Abram probably felt an overwhelming comfort. A huge weight lifted off of his shoulders, deep gratitude, love, and thankfulness in watching God take on all the responsibility for both sides of the deal and any consequences if Abram would mess up. Now, how does that make you feel that Jesus says that he is taking full ownership of the covenant with us, that his body would be broken and his blood spilled just like the animals sacrificed for covenants before so that he could take on the sin and shame for us and cleanse us and save us from those sins? Much like the sacrificial lamb's blood from the initial Passover that covered the households of the Israelites and saved as well as set them free, Jesus Christ, the precious lamb of God, is the final sacrifice, and it was his broken body and spilled blood that covers us in our households and saves us and sets us free from sin. This covenant displayed to us through the outward sign of the bread and cup reconciles us back to God, and through it we are freely offered forgiveness of sins by God's amazing grace. We can now see the intention of Jesus here at the Last Supper. Jesus intentionally gave all the disciples the bread and the cup, saying that you are worthy of my forgiveness, accomplished through my sacrifice for your sins of the past and the sins that I know that you're going to commit. We know this event of the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the, on the night before he was betrayed— We know this event as the Last Supper, but I want us to start thinking about it as the Lasting Supper, because friends, much like God himself, communion is not bound by a single point in time. It is not solely just an act of remembrance that points us to the past, where Jesus was sitting and eating with his disciples before he went to the cross. Communion also points to the very real presence of Christ here with us now. And he invites each and every one of us to his table to receive the gift that he has freely given to us. And it doesn't stop there, though, because communion also points to the future where we are seated with Christ in eternal victory over sin and death at his heavenly banquet. This forgiveness that was offered long ago to the disciples is also offered to us today. And it is something that is not accomplished by our actions There's not a price that we have to pay even though the world says that we should. But this freely given gift of forgiveness is truly a means of God's amazing grace and Jesus Christ was the one that paid that price for us. Jesus is still holding a spot for you today and he will continue to hold that spot for you in eternity at his open table. This very day, friends, he is inviting you to receive his hope, his grace, his forgiveness, his redemption, And his transformational love. Jesus' gift at the Last Supper is truly lasting through the ages into eternity. So today we get the opportunity to participate in the Last Supper with Jesus here in a minute. And when we do, we're participating in a holy sacrament, which is an outward expression of an inward grace. The outward sign is the bread and the cup which points to the workings of God's grace within us that reconciles us back to God and justifies us through the forgiveness of sins. And someone that you might have heard of, his name was John Wesley, he had this to say about communion. He said, if we desire the pardon of our sins, if we wish for strength to believe, to love, and obey God, then we should neglect no opportunity in receiving the Lord's Supper. Jesus is inviting us to the table today, and he is freely offering the bread and the cup to you. If the forgiveness of sins and the strength to follow, love, and obey God sound like something that you would like to receive, something that you so desire, then know that Jesus has already offered you a spot at the table. But don't come to the table with the idea that you have to already have plenty of strength to believe, love, and obey God. Don't come to the table thinking that you have to have your life all cleaned up and pretty on the outside. We need to come to the table as we are, as a sinner, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, wanting what he is offering to us freely. So don't try and change yourself before you come to the table. Let communion, let the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord be what changes you within and points you back to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who paid that price that we could never pay, God. You paid it for us. God, we thank you for your cleansing, for your healing, for your restoration, God, for your strength to go into the world and spread your love to others. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for watching our broadcast this morning. I'd like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning services at 830 and 11 on our campus at 300 West Irwin Street, downtown Tyler. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church and its ministry and serving opportunities. And if we can be of any assistance in your spiritual growth, I hope that you'll let us know. If you'd like to contribute to the ministry of Marvin Church, you may do so through the information provided. God's best for you.